Lord, we thank you. We honor, we reverence your presence. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just captivate the listeners. Help us to give you our best ear and our full attention. Get focused and locked in. Help us, Lord, to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds tonight. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us good, fertile soil in our hearts and minds and lives so that the Word of God will go out of my mouth like the living seeds of truth. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak through me. Let me be your vessel. And that those seeds of truth will go out and they'll land into good, fertile soil. And they'll be watered by the Holy Spirit. They'll take root and they will grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, I pray, anoint our eyes to see and our ears to hear that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit. We're able to hear the voice of the Lord. We're able to see truth. And Lord, I pray that the light of heaven would shine into our minds and our hearts and drive away any deception, any darkness, and bring truth, bring life, bring revelation. Lord, I pray that we'd be so locked in, Lord, that the fullness of everything that you want to see accomplished tonight in every life, <clears throat> and through this, through the Internet, and all, where it goes all over the world, different places, Lord, that it will accomplish that which it is sent for it to do because you promise that your word will do just that. And we bind the enemy away from this word. And Lord, we bless you and we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. This is not part of my sermon, but I felt to share. Let me read real quick. It was he, speaking of Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. To prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I wanted to share that because I feel that what one of the things God is doing is that he is enabling us to have here an influence of the fivefold ministry. For example, when, when Pastor Tommy comes, I mean, one of his offices is obviously a pastor, but when he comes to us... He's coming more as an apostle and a prophet. When I'm here, this is not my primary giftings, but when I'm here with you, I'm operating more as a pastor teacher because that's what you need. And Pastor Joey, this is not his primary giftings necessarily either, but he's operating more as a pastor and an evangelist. And the Bible says when you have the fivefold ministry, you have all of that influence, then it says you become until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Amen? We need to mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then you're no longer like infants tossed back and forth by waves of teaching, winds of teaching. Babes are tossed back and forth. And the cunning and craftiness of men and deceitful scheming. Instead, we speak the truth in love. And in all things, we grow up in him, Jesus, who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so before I get into what God's got me to share, what I want to share real quick is this. There's three things that you should be asking yourself. Number one, am I really the powerful witness that I'm supposed to be. 
God wants us to be bold, powerful witnesses for his kingdom. We need to be a light to those around us. We really do. And it's not that hard. But we need to be full of the Spirit and bold. The second thing is, are you the powerful prayer warrior that God has called you to be? Because prayer changes the world. Prayer is what's going to advance the kingdom of God and bring change. Prayer is going to be what brings in your lost loved ones. Prayer is going to be what changes your life. To be honest, if we don't pray, nothing's ever really going to happen of significance. The Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. The King James says we have not because we ask not. And so we've got to be prayer warriors. And if we are prayer warriors, then the kingdom of God is going to advance in power. Now, let me tell you this. Once you pray about something and God does it, who's going to stop God? Once you get God to move, who's going to stop God? The devil? People? When you pray and God starts moving, nothing can stop God. But the key is prayer. And the third thing is, what is it that you're called to do in the body of Christ? Because everybody has something that God has sown into your life that you're supposed to be functioning in the local church, in the body of Christ, doing something for the Lord. It could be a prayer war and intercessor. It could help with music. It could work with kids or with youth or, or, or doing evangelism out with, with Pastor Joey and other things. But whatever it is, you need to find out, let God speak to you. And those three things, are be, listen, when we, when we die and go into eternity, there's not a lot going to go with us. Okay? But there is some things that's going to go. The souls that you win and the people's lives you impacted. You understand what I'm saying? And if you'll do those three things, if you'll be a bold witness and a prayer warrior, and you'll serve in the church, find out what, when you get to heaven, there's going to be a reward. And there's going to be things that your life meant something while here powerfully. God used you powerfully. But if you just live your life, you know, nine to five job, making a paycheck, when you get to heaven, what are you going to have? That's why Jesus said, don't build up for yourself treasures here. Okay. I felt to share that. All right, I'm going to talk about faith. And God's been using me, late, especially lately, as more of a teacher than anything. You know, how many knows we need to know the Word? We need to know what it says. And we need to be established. And so I've been doing some series. I've been teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Baptist of the Holy Spirit. And I've been getting tremendous feedback, and people have really been very positive about these things. But tonight I want to talk about the doctrine of faith and healing. And I'm going to read you a couple stories as well. But first, I want to say this, okay? If you guys can look this way, I know people hearing this over the Internet and in different places. I know you can't see this, but just bear with me. But this is the Bible Faith Study Course by Kenneth Hagin. You can get this at bookstores. You can get this online. I don't say this very often. This book really did change my life. My life was one way. I read the book. Now my life is different. And I encourage you, you need to know about faith. Because in the days that we're living, you're going to need faith. You're going to need faith for money, faith for situations and provision and health. And, and, and everything that you're going to do for God, you're going to need a lot of faith in these end times. These are dark times we're living. And I encourage everybody to get this book and read it, okay? But um, also, if you're one of those that you're going to be used more in teaching and, and, and doctrine and things like that, and, and one day doing that, I also recommend this classic book by F.F. F. Bosworth, written probably in the 30s called Christ the Healer, but it's more of a doctrine-type book, more of a study course. This book is written, the faith book by Kenneth Hagin is written more uh, for just any Christian that wants to learn about faith. It's very practical. 
So anyway, I wanted to recommend those. <clears throat> I mean, those faith comes by hearing the word of God. Amen. All right, let's get into this. Let me read you this story by Derek Prince. All right, from my own experience, I will share with you how I discovered this wonderful medicine bottle of God. <laughs> Says Derek Prince, okay. I learned about this great blessing during the early years of World War II. Because I am British, I served in the British Army as a medical orderly, what the Americans call hospital attendant, with the British Medical Services for five and a half years during World War II. For the first three years of duty, I was stationed in the deserts of North Africa, first in Egypt, then Libya, and finally the Sudan. In the desert, there are two things that we were exposed to more than anything else. They were the sand and the sun. (laughs) I spent nearly one entire year in the desert without ever seeing a paved road. We traveled in sand, we slept in sand, and very often we had the impression that we were eating sand. We were exposed to it night and day. Combined with the sun, it had a very harmful effect on certain people whose skin could not protect them adequately from that kind of exposure, and I was one of them. It manifested itself primarily in the condition of my feet and my hands, where the skin broke down and I became incapacitated in many ways. The officer in command of my particular unit struggled to keep me from being admitted to the hospital because he knew if I were admitted, he would lose me in the unit. So consequently, I spent several months hobbling around trying to do my military duties. However, in the end, he had to let me go to the hospital. I was there, three, I was there for three to four different military medical facilities, went to three or four, and I was in the hospital for a year. During that time, I met soldiers, soldiers who had, had been there two years in the Middle East and spent 18 months in the hospital with similar conditions. The doctors gave me all these elaborate diagnoses of my problem. Each name tended to be little longer than the previous one. Eventually, my condition was diagnosed simply as chronic eczema. I received the best medical treatment available, but it really didn't help me. I saw many other soldiers with similar conditions who also were not helped. Those with really serious problems, burns and so on, were usually shipped to South Africa. However, my condition wasn't considered to be that serious, and so the services of the British Army were not so valuable. My services were not so valuable that they were going to waste a passage to South Africa for me. So I just lay there in the bed day after day wondering what my future would be. I'll tell you, when you spend an entire year in the hospital, it seems like an eternity. Shortly before that time, I'd come into the real personal relationship with the Lord. I had been born again and received the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I was very ignorant about God's Word then, not having any background in biblical instruction. I had a Bible and really had nowhere else to turn for help but to God and His Word. In desperation, I began to search the Scriptures to see what they could tell me about my physical condition. I didn't have any theories about healing. I just knew that I needed it. I had the Bible and plenty of time to read since there was very little else to do. So I searched through the Bible for something that would show me if I could really trust God for my healing of my body. One day I came across the verse in in Proverbs that I have learned to call God's medicine bottle. I'm quoting from the King James Version, which was the version that I was reading in those days and which is extremely vivid and forceful. Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. My son, attend to my words and incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. It was that last phrase, health to all their flesh, that caught my attention. I understood that all their flesh meant total physical healing for the whole body, which is the way more modern versions translate it. 
And I reason with myself, health. If I have health in my whole body, then I have no room anywhere for sickness. And that is what God is promising me. Then I happened to look in the margin of my Bible and saw that the alternate translation for the word health was medicine. That seemed to be even more appropriate for my condition. God was promising me something that would be like medicine, that would bring health to all my flesh. I thought to myself, that's precisely what I need. So I went back and read those words over and over, and I saw that, in essence, God was offering his, his, uh, I'm sorry, his offer was being made to me through his word. Verse 20, attend to my words, incline your ears to my saying. Then verse 22, for they, that's God's words and God's sayings, are life unto them that find it and health to all their flesh. So somehow life and health are in the words and the sayings of God. That's interesting, isn't it? I didn't know how that could be, but I knew God was promising it. And when I saw the phrase, for those that find it, I realized this process was more than just reading the Bible. It was reading the Bible in such a way as to find out how to receive what God was offering. All the medical attention that was available in those conditions had not helped me. So I made a decision, a very naive decision in a way, but I decided I was going to take God's word as my medicine. And that was a very crucial point in my life in many ways. When I made that decision, the Lord himself spoke to me, not audibly, but nevertheless very clearly. I heard him say, when the doctor gives a person medicine, the directions for taking the medicine are on the bottle. Then he instructed, this is my medicine I'm giving you. The directions are on the bottle. You better study them. God reminded me that a doctor doesn't promise any bit from the, any benefit from the medicine he recommends unless it's taken according to the directions. Being a medical orderly, I was very aware of that. I then decided to study the directions of the bottle. Very quickly, I saw that there were four specific instructions for taking God's word as medicine for physical healing. These are his directions. Number one, attend to my words. Number two, incline your ear to my sayings. Number three, let them not depart from your eyes. And number four, keep them in the midst of your heart. I realized that if I were going to receive the benefits I needed from medicine, I had to comply with those guidelines. I cannot go into detail about all that followed, but I began to bow my head over the Bible three times every day after meals. Because that is how people normally take medicine. I say, God, you have said that these words of yours will be medicine to all my flesh. I'm taking them as my medicine now in Jesus' name. And within a few months... God's medicine, taken that way, achieved the result God had promised. I was totally healthy in every area of my body. God's word, the power of God's word. As I said earlier, faith comes by hearing the word. That's rhema. Remember we talked about faith comes by hearing the rhema word of God. And so that's what God is speaking. And God's given me this word tonight to speak to you, so it's a rhema word. And I believe that great faith is going to explode in you from this day forward. Now listen, here's the thing. When we begin to renew our mind with the Scriptures, our mind begins to get washed and changed. Because how many knows that the way we live in this world is a lot different than the kingdom principles in the Bible? For example... We live our whole life with the mentality, I will believe it when I see it. And that sounds good. And when you grow up, you think that that's the way you need to live. 
But in the kingdom of God, you'll never get anything that way. You have to believe first, then you'll see it. And so you've got to renew your mind. But as you begin to meditate on the scriptures over and over in your mind, and you're mulling around on those in the, in the mind, what happens is, is that that word gets down into your spirit. And when it gets down into your spirit, that's when faith explodes. As the Bible says that with your mouth you confess, but with your heart you believe. It's not good enough to just mentally agree. You've got to meditate on the word enough to where it gets down into your spirit. And true faith from your, in, from your inner man, true faith will explode. And then the Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in other words, it starts in your mind. It gets down into your spirit. It becomes faith. And then you start speaking faith because that's what's in your heart. Does that make sense? That's the process. There was a man by the name of Otis Clark that Sandy and I met. I want you all to hear this story. We went down to Garland, and uh, a precious African-American, he's 107 years old and is in just as good a health as anybody here. And he was preaching. It was was amazing. And uh, I had the opportunity to go talk to him, and I wasn't going to miss it. And uh, Sandy, Sandy was with me, you know. And this, and he got, he was by himself for a minute, so I was up and gone. And Sandy's like, what do you know? And I just left her there. But I sat down by him, and I was like, hey, how you doing, brother? You know, and I was asking about the early days of Pentecost. Because how many knows, 107 years old, he was there in the early days of Pentecost. He knew William Seymour personally. He carries, this will mean something to you guys, he carries the power of attorney right now to the Assistant Street Revival. Isn't that something? But he knew William Seymour and um, I was asking about the early days of Pentecost and things like that. And he said, well, when it first started, he said it was powerful. He said, man, it was powerful. But he said then people started getting their own agenda and there started being this, you know, division. Isn't that how the devil works every time? You know, people get in division. But anyway, so I want him to pray for us. But, but as I was listening, and his daughter and granddaughter there with him, and they, they were talking, and throughout his life, he just simply lived by a childlike faith. When something would come up in the health area, he would pray about it and get healed. And that's just the way he lived his life. I mean, he still has all of his original teeth. He's got, he can read without glasses. It's amazing. That is divine health. But, you know, think about it. The reason why most people don't live that way is because in today's society, they feel like, you know, there's so many other options. But back then, for him, being an African-American 100 years ago, there wasn't options, okay? He had to live by faith. And he learned how to trust God for everything. And now he's a living sign and a wonder to the promises of God's word. And his life, just his life alone, sparks faith in you, doesn't it? Because God does not pick favorites. He, listen to me, get this in you. God does not look through here and say, well, I'll bless this person because I like them more, but I'm not going to bless this person. That's not God. God responds to faith. You hear what I'm saying? God responds to faith. He doesn't pick and choose people. And I believe with all my heart 
that if God's going to honor his word in somebody else's life, like Brother Clark, he's going to honor his word in me, and I believe he'll honor his word in you. Amen? But we've got to humble ourselves down and live by faith. We have to follow his example because that's the way he lived his life was by faith. So let me run through this. I believe this will spark faith in you guys, and then I'm going to read another faith story. Number one, Jesus paid for your healing and deliverance on the cross. Why would Jesus endure such a horrible death and go through all of that unless God's intention was very serious and very deliberate that you could be forgiven of your sins, you could be healed, you could be delivered, and everything you could need is on the cross. God doesn't waste his time, and Jesus would not have endured that in vain. Does that make sense? When he was being beaten on the whipping post, he's God. He could have just spoke a word, and the person would have dropped dead, and he would have been healed. He endured it for a reason. Jesus paid a very costly price for our healing. And it's a reward for his suffering when people are coming to him and getting saved. It's a reward for Christ's suffering when people are being healed. Are you understanding this? It's a reward for his suffering when people are delivered of the demonic bondage that held them captive. Isaiah 53, 3 through 12, and Matthew 8, 16 through 17, talks about how Jesus bore our sickness and carried our pain. And that's the literal translation. I want you to think about the bronze serpent of Numbers 21. And Jesus referenced this. He said, just like the serpent was lifted up on the pole, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So Jesus referenced this, okay? But in Numbers 21, there was these spiritual snakes that had been released into the camp of Israel because they had sinned against God. And they were getting bit by these snakes, and they were getting sick, and they were dying. Now think about this story. It's really amazing. God said, make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. First off, if you take a pole and stick it in the ground, a big wooden pole, and try to stick a snake on it, it's not going to work good. So in my opinion, this is what happened. They had a, a vertical pole that was really tall, and they had to put a horizontal pole and then put the serpent there. So what the people were probably looking at was the cross. Isn't that amazing? All through history, the cross has been there. But Jesus... That was a symbol and type of what Jesus did on the cross. And everybody that looked to that bronze serpent on the cross were totally healed. And it's a picture and type of what we have today. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ became a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree under the law. It said that, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come on us as Gentiles. Now, you have to understand the curse of the law. The curse of the law was sickness. It was poverty. It was, it was strife. It was defeat from your enemies. All these things, Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, it has these big lists of, of things like humiliation, barrenness, sickness, defeat, failure. All this stuff was a curse of the law. And Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law because he became a curse for us on the tree in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come on us as Gentiles. If that alone will sink into your spirit, that will change your life. 
Because I'm going to tell you, generational curses and things that's traveled down family lines, as long as you've repented, Jesus paid for that, for you to walk in total victory. But you've got to change your, the way you think and let your mind be renewed by the word and let faith get in your heart and say, you know, let's just say that it's some kind of a sickness. Let's just pick something out of the hat that it has to do with really bad vision. And it's obvious that the family, it's a family curse. And, and every day you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take God's medicine. And you open up your Bible and say, Jesus, this, this health problem in my eyes or whatever is a curse under the law. And you've redeemed me from the curse of the law. And I thank you. My vision is going to get better. And I'm healed in Jesus' name. And as you begin to do that day and you're taking God's medicine just like Derek Prince did, and your body, your life will start lining up with God's word. In the New Testament, we talked about the word sozo. In 1 Corinthians, this is my favorite place that that word is used. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Starting with verse 16. I'm sorry, actually, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Those of us that are being saved. See, when you're born again, you come in covenant with God, but your life is a life of sozo. We've talked about that. You guys know what I'm talking about. The word saved in the Greek is sozo, and it means to be saved, Deliver, protected, healed, preserved, do well, and made whole. That's everything you'll ever need. But the message of the cross to them that are perishing is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, does that make more sense to you? In Acts 10.38 and 1 John 3.8. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is the way God viewed it. When God created man and put him in the Garden of Eden, there wasn't such thing as sickness. It came because of sin. Okay? And when Jesus came, this is how God viewed the ministry of Jesus. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. That's the way God viewed it, that these people were oppressed of the devil. And Jesus went there to liberate them from that oppression. So let this get into you, that sickness and these different things, it's an oppression from the enemy. That's how God views sickness. And look at the very nature of God in, in, in this point number two here. The very nature of God revealed in Jesus in Mark 1. The leper came to Jesus and said, Lord, if, if, you, if it be your will, make me clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing, and healed him. But here's what I want you to get. Jesus throughout his ministry said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you guys remember him saying that? Now think about this. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There is not one single person in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that came to Jesus not one time that Jesus said no. Think about that. There's not one. Every person, 100% of the time, 
Every person that came to Jesus for healing or deliverance got their healing or deliverance. Even people that were struggling with doubt. There was a man that said, Lord, forgive me for my unbelief, but help me in my unbelief. And Jesus still healed his son. The Canaanite woman who was not in covenant with God, Jesus said, it's not right that I should take their bread and throw it to their dogs. But she said, Lord, even the dogs would eat a crumb from the children's table. And Jesus said, you have great faith and healed her. So even somebody that was not in covenant with God through Abraham and the, the law and all that, even though she was not in covenant, he still healed her when she came. There's not one time that Jesus turned somebody away. I'm letting that sink in. Because there's, I believe there's some people maybe have had different mentalities. But God hates sickness. He hates to see people oppressed. You know, when Jesus came, he could have done things like preached while standing on water. But he chose to do that in private. He could have pointed up and written his name in the stars. He could have done all kinds of parlor tricks or whatever to impress people. But he never did those things. He always brought healing and deliverance to people. He chose to use his power to minister to hurting people. Because that's the nature of God. Not to show off his power. They even asked him, show us a sign. He said, you know, a perverse generation asked for a sign. He never was showing off his power. His heart was to to minister to hurting people. And that's the heart of God. God hates seeing people in bondage to the devil. And one of the reasons why Satan attacks Christians with sickness so much is because the enemy knows that it bogs people down from being able to do what God's called them to do. It's a major distraction and a hindrance in their life. But once you ever truly get faith down in you to believe, and let me say this, every person in here, every person that's sounding my voice that has accepted Christ as your Savior and you're born again, you have faith because you wouldn't be a Christian if you didn't have faith. And Jesus said if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So you can't tell me that you don't have enough faith to see miracles because you do. But here's the thing. It's to begin to learn how to use your faith. And the way you start using your faith is you start praying about things and you start getting into the Word. And everybody has a measure of faith, but your faith can grow and can mature. And you can start believing God for things now that you never could five years ago. And five years from now, you believe God for things you can't even imagine right now because your faith goes to new levels. How do we receive from God? Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay. What is faith? Faith is being certain of what you don't see. And it's not as hard as it sounds. It's just believing God. It's believing that he's going to do what he said he would do. Did you know God promised us in 1 John that if we pray according to his will, he hears us? And if we know he hears us, then we have whatever we ask? He promised us in John 15 that if we abide in the vine and if we abide in him and his word abides in us. See, that's the key. His word abides in us. Then we'll ask whatever we will and it'll be done. 
So we've got to let the word of God get into our minds and start getting into our spirits, igniting faith and start believing God for things. Because when you when you're walking a life of faith, what happens is, is that you think faith thoughts, you speak faith words and you act out in faith. People that act out in faith are risk takers. Everybody hear that? They're risk takers. But faith is being certain of what you don't see. And another thing, it's calling things that are not as though they were. You've got to understand the power of your words. When God changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham, just the very change of his name alone changed. Every time somebody said his name, they, Abram means father, but Abraham means father of many nations. So God changed his name and spoke over Abram, you are now Abraham. In other words, God said, now you are the father of many nations. That was spoken over him. But he didn't have a child. So how could this be? Because Abraham believed God, even though he didn't see it yet. And Abraham's life was a life of believing God. And then because he kept believing God, then he saw the promise. Many people will start believing And just like Peter walking on the water, they get distracted by things and they get out of faith. And it can delay things. But Abram, it says that Abraham believed God. It was credited him as righteousness. And he called those things that are not as though they were. In other words, he would say, I am the father of many nations. And people look at him like he's crazy. You're an old man. You don't have a son. Are you insane? No, I'm the father of many nations. Well, what gives you the right to say that? Because God said it. You may not believe it. My own wife may not believe it because his wife didn't. I believe it. Think about it. Many people give up before seeing a miracle. Go to John 5. Is this helping you guys? Jesus had healed this man at the sheep gate. It's called Bethesda. There was a pool there. And the angel would come down and stir the water. First person in. Got healed. But anyway, Jesus went there and healed this man. He said, take up your mat and walk. Okay. And so he did. But when Jesus found him later in the temple, verse 14... It says, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Listen to me, this is very important. With humility, we've got to get alone with God and find out if there's a hindrance to a miracle. We need to get alone with God and find out what the hindrance is. But people that do not have great faith will get irritated and will give up. Instead of seeking God, they get irritated with God and they give up. 
But see, that, that's not faith. Faith is understanding that Jesus had already paid for it at the cross. So it's not a matter of, Lord, if it be your will, yada, yada. Those type of prayers are going to not go very far when it comes to healing. Look, Jesus already paid for it at the cross. He didn't waste his time. Okay, it's done. The cross, as a matter of fact, the cross was there for everybody. But it's just that not everybody accepts it. Okay? So it was done for everybody. So that's already taken care of. So if we pray about something and we're not seeing the result we want to see, and we see in the Word of God it promises something, and we're not seeing it in our lives, then instead of getting angry with God and blaming God, which is, which is immature spiritually, spiritually childish, and it, it is not faith, we need to humble ourselves and say, God, if the pipe is clogged, it's clogged on my end. Show me what's wrong. Help me to see it. It's different with different people. Some people, it could be a pride issue. It could be a generational curse. We've seen some pretty amazing miracles with generational curses broken in people's lives. It could be sin in, in your life. Think about this. In 1 John, John said, if we say that we're without sin, we're just deceiving ourselves. You know, and I'm not saying this about you guys. You are a wonderful, humble crowd. But some people look at you all smug, you know, and I, I don't have any sin. It's like, you know, first off, the Bible says if you say you're without sin, you know, you're just deceiving yourself. And secondly, you're arrogant, so there's your sin, okay? All right. All right. Or it could be an inner healing issue. Sometimes the wounds of the spirit and the soul, the inner man, can affect your physical health. It could be disobedience to God. You know, there's some people out there that God has told them to do something and they just won't do it. He's called them into the ministry and they said no. And then they wonder why they have problems. You can't live in disobedience to God and be blessed. There's people that, that disobey God about the simplest of matters, like going to church, tithing. You know what I'm saying? Living right. They know something's wrong, but they do it anyway. The things are not going to go well for those type of people. They're in disobedience to God. Or somebody that's out of the will of God. Some people don't even consider this. But are, are they even in the will of God at all? Some people live their life based on just where they're making more money. You think about, just give you a hypothetical story about a man that's called to pastor a church. He doesn't want to because he loves his job. He makes really good money. He doesn't want to quit his job. He don't want to pastor that church. And a promotion is offered him. He's living somewhere, let's just say Dallas, and it's offered him in Virginia. And he goes there because he's, he's making a lot more money by moving there. He's out of the will of God. And don't be surprised if he doesn't have problems in his life, and it could be health problems. So you need to find out, am I in the will of God? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I, am I in the center of his will for my life? It could be unforgiveness, and I would say unforgiveness is probably the biggest problem with health problems across the board. It could be a curse. Some people have gotten involved in their past with witchcraft and occult stuff. You know, they thought it was innocent to go to the palm reader and the psychic and Madam Mumbo Jumbo, whatever her name is, you know, and have her little palm read or whatever. And they got a curse following them around, and they got problems, you know, and they need to get that curse broken. They thought that movie was innocent. 
They thought that little game was innocent. Another thing, it could just be satanic attack. Or it could be that God is wanting to show you how to live by faith. Is we need to learn to live by faith. And how many knows God knows how to teach you? And here's the thing. God will give you testimonies. God will give you testimonies. You know, I look at some people's lives. Some people have been through some horrible stuff. But you know what? They have an awesome testimony. And because of their testimony, many people get saved. God sometimes will allow you to go through something. But his whole intention is to bring you out the other side victorious, but to give you a testimony. In Revelation, it says that they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And, you know, I've heard some people, for example, you could just say Kenneth Hagin's a good example since I've already talked about him. There's such a punch of the power of God and authority when he teaches on faith because the man was so sick when he was young and he learned how to, he learned how to apply faith and he got miraculously healed. And he had already died once or twice. But anyway, God totally healed him. Think about his testimony. His testimony lends, you know, credibility to what he's preaching. And there, there's, an, there's a power in that. There's a power in testimony. Is this helping? Some of you guys have been through some things, but it's just meant to give you a testimony. And you need to come through the other side victorious and let your life line up with the promises of God's word. And then you can share with other people, this is what God did for me. And there will be an authority behind it. And when you preach on that subject, there's an authority behind it. You know, my wife's testimony opens doors for her just because of her testimony alone. And there's an authority and and a credibility when she talks about the dangers of witchcraft because of her testimony. You hear what I'm saying? There's an authority there. And when you've been through some things and God has healed you and delivered you, there's an authority whenever you talk about it. Because you have a right to be talking about it. Because you've been through it and God gave you victory. And if, if you've been through it and God gave you victory, then you know how to get victory and you can help others. All right. Number five, walk in divine health. Third John 2. The Apostle John wrote to him and said, I pray that you prosper and you be in health even as your soul prospers. Your soul prospering has to do with you meditating on the Scriptures, getting it down in your heart. I believe it also has to do sometimes with inner healing. You know, some people need to be healed on the inside, okay? But the will of God is is that we walk in health and prosper as our souls prosper. How many knows that's in the Bible for a reason? So let that get into you. It's God's will for you that you prosper and you be in health. That's God's will for you. Romans 8:11. I'm going to start closing this thing down. But how many knows we need to hear stuff like this? You know what? It strengthens our faith. And this last story I'm going to read here in a moment is really going to bring it home and strengthen you guys' faith in a powerful way. I think that most Christians have no idea really what's available to you and how much authority and power you actually have available to you. Romans 8:11. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who lives in you. If it ever clicks, and once you meditate on it and it drops down into your spirit and ignites faith, see, that's what happens. You read these scriptures and people go, amen. But then whenever they start meditating on it, and it drops down in their spirit, and it comes alive, it explodes faith, and they realize, wait a second, God the Holy Spirit is in me, and he's given life to my body? How can there be sickness or death? And that's when faith kicks in, and that's when things start changing. See, when when the scripture moves from the head to the heart, faith kicks in, and that faith starts causing change. Does this help anybody? When we start thinking faith thoughts, speaking faith words, and acting out on our faith, and understand also the names of God. You know, the, the study I did on prayer, you guys have that? Okay, the eight names of God. How many knows one of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha, our healer? You know, and the testimony Larry Lee had about that whole thing with cancer. And see, Brother Larry would get up every morning, and he would, he would come through the blood of Jesus, and he was, he's a prayer warrior. Let me tell you, you can feel it when you're around him. And he's in there worshiping and praying, and hallowed be your name, Lord. You're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Today, you're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You're Jehovah Makadesh, my sanctification. You're Jehovah Shalom, my peace, guarding my heart and mind. You're Jehovah Rapha. You're my healer today. It was interesting because every day he would have this powerful prayer life. Jesus taught us, hallowed be your name. Okay, And he would hallow the Lord's name, and he would remember, you are this to me, and he would claim the promises of God. Think about if you lived a life every day where you're in the mornings, you're worshiping God. You're Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Jesus, that you bore in your body my sin, that I can die to sin and live unto righteousness, and by your stripes I'm healed today. And you live your life like that. Okay? He had this cancer show up, and then one day it just disappeared. I don't think it's going to take a lot of thinking for us to figure out why it disappeared. Okay, It disappeared because the life he lived of hallowing the Lord's name and honoring God's word. How many knows when you get up and you're, you're going through those promises of God and you're, you're worshiping the Lord like that? Today, you're Jehovah Nisi, my banner, my victory. You are in, that's, going to, that's going to ignite faith in you daily. And then he gave a testimony that after that, there was a brother that, that came from a, a very non-Pentecostal background. I don't know what it was, Baptist or something. And he had gotten cancer, and he heard that God healed Brother Larry. And so he's like, I want Brother Larry to pray for me. And these other people are like, you don't want to go to that nutcase. You know, he speaks in tongues, all this weird stuff. And Brother Larry says, it's interesting when people get in trouble, they always come to the Pentecostal. Isn't that true? <laughs> And they realize, well, wait a second. Actually, they got power and these people don't. So anyway, they go to him. And Brother Larry lays his hands on him and says, I curse this cancer to die and come out of this body in Jesus' name. He went back to the doctor, cancer-free. I'm giving you guys some keys. Is this helping? The Psalm 91 talks about, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he knows and understands my name. Think about that. So again, what's the names of God? We've already been through this. I gave you the sheet. 
because he knows my name. And look at the promises. He will call up because he knows my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And that word salvation is the Hebrew counterpart to Sozo. Isn't that awesome? You know, Jesus' name is Yahshua, and it means salvation. But he said, I will show my salvation to him. So how does God send his healing? Let me wrap this thing up. I'll read you an awesome story. He can release his healing through words of knowledge. You guys have seen it where somebody will say, there's somebody here being healed of such and such. It's a word of knowledge, and they're healed. Simply believe in God's word, which is the main way. The gift of healing. Some people have the gift of healing in the, in the local church. There's people here that have the gift of healing. Also, the Bible promises that we will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Let that get in your spirit. You're supposed to be laying hands on the sick and then recovering. That's what it says. That's actually what it says. And that's what it means. Okay? It can come through a deliverance. I have seen many people that have been delivered from some kind of satanic evil thing. And then their health totally healed of things. It can come by calling things that are not as though they were. The power of confession. Listen. The Lord said, I lay before you life and death, blessing and curses. Choose life. Okay, there's two, two things that we do. We confess and we can also bless. Let me explain. Confession has to do with speaking the word of God over your life. And it releases life. You're speaking the word of God. By his stripes I am healed. You're speaking the word of God. Blessings have to do with speaking what you desire, but God will back it up. You hear what I'm saying? Two different things, but they work together. But regardless, we've got to stop saying negative things. Some people are reaping the fruit of their mouth that's got them in a lot of trouble. Negative, negative. Always just negative about everything, cursing everything. And then they have more to complain about in the future. And it's an endless cycle of misery. And you know what? It's an endless cycle of misery being around them. <laughs> Amen? Just negative about everything. You know what? Seriously, this is a stronghold, man, in this area because I tell you, there's something about this area and just people being negative. So once we start changing, you know what some people do is they'll talk about stuff and they'll say, my sickness. Well, look, if you're going to lay claim to it and claim it as yours, okay. But how many knows it's the devil's? Give it back to him. And we need to stop. We need to start thinking different and start speaking different. Another way is the elders anoint with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. I love that scripture because... It says that if any sick among you, let him call upon the elders of the church. Let them anoint him with oil. And listen, the prayer of faith will save the sick. It's this. It will sozo the sick. It has to do with deliverance, healing, protection, preservation. Think about whatever you're going through in life, it's going to fall under that category, that word sozo. So if you come up at church and you get the elders to anoint you and pray over you, whatever you're needing is available right there. Isn't that powerful? The wisdom of those that have gone on trips that have come down and said, let the elders and open the and pray for a safe trip, because that's part of Sozo. That all will go well, that you'll be protected and preserved. Another way is laying hold of the names of God, which I already talked about with Brother Larry Lee. But lay hold of the names of God. 
Is Jehovah Rapha your healer? Another way is using your authority. We can command. We have, look, it's all through the scriptures, but we have authority over all evil spirits and over sickness and disease. We have authority. And one day, when that goes from head knowledge to heart knowledge and faith kicks in, you're going to realize, I really do actually have authority over this. And when that faith kicks in, then things will start changing. You have faith, but as you meditate on the scriptures, your faith is going to explode and go to new levels. And another way is joy. Proverbs 17:22 says, laughter is, is as a medicine. And I've seen people just bust out laughing in the Holy Spirit and get healed of stuff. And I'll tell you another way. I didn't write on here, but it's taking the Lord's Supper. Many people are healed when they take communion and remember what Jesus did for them on the cross. Isn't that powerful? Let me close with this story. Dr. Lillian B. Yeomans, a medical doctor and surgeon, received divine healing after becoming ill to the point of death due to a narcotic addiction. Medical science couldn't do anything to help her. She came right down to death's door, and medical science told her she had to die. But then someone told her of the account recorded in the Bible about Jesus healing the woman with the issue of blood. And Dr. Yeomans had been in a backslidden condition for several years at this time. But when she heard about the woman with the issue of blood, she was healed. I'm sorry, who was healed? Dr. Yeomans got back in fellowship with God. Then she received her healing, was raised up from her deathbed. After being raised up from her deathbed and realizing that divine healing is good and right, Dr. Yeomans began to preach and teach divine healing from the Word. And she did that for many years. In one of her books, she, called, she talked about enjoying 43 years of divine health. Think about that. Once that revelation came alive to her and faith exploded in her heart, she lived 43 years of divine health from that point before. That's amazing. In the course of time, Dr. Yeomans and her sister bought a large home with money that they had inherited from their parents' estate, and they turned the house into what they called a faith home. That is, they would take people in who were sick so that they could get them healed by, the, by God's divine power and through faith in his word. All the people they ministered to were terminally ill and incurable. So they would take people in that everybody else gave up on. They were terminally ill and incurable. And you know what? He said this, they got most of them healed. Dr. Yeoman's got these people healed by doing what I'm telling you to do in this book. She would read scriptures on divine healing to them and tell them to confess them over, over and over again to themselves. Remember what I was telling you about meditating on it over and over and over, and it gets down in your spirit. Once it gets in your spirit, faith. So Dr. Yeoman's and her sister could take only two, about three or four sick people at a time into their faith home, so they had a waiting list. In one case in particular, a woman who had been on the list came to them who had tuberculosis. When the woman arrived at the faith home um, by an ambulance, Dr. Yeomans checked her pulse and knew that the woman was in a dying condition. In fact, Dr. Yeomans said that if she had been still practicing medicine, she would have immediately began to administer a strong stimulant to stimulate the woman's heart. But Dr. Yeomans didn't have a license to practice medicine in that particular state that they were in, so she just had the dying woman taken to one of the bedrooms. Dr. Yeomans related this. 
I sat by the bedside and read to her from my Bible, and I said to her, close your eyes and rest and just listen to the word. For about two hours, Dr. Yeomans read healing scriptures, like the ones contained in this book. Instead of giving this woman a shot to stimulate her heart, she gave her a dose of God's medicine, his word. Dr. Yeomans had all the scriptures on the subject of healing marked in her Bible, and she read healing scriptures to this woman from Genesis to Revelation. Notice that she didn't read scriptures to her on the subject of water baptism because the dying woman didn't need to hear about water baptism. She needed to hear about healing. The woman needed to hear about what uh, she needed, which was divine healing, and thank God God's word promises has provision for every need. Dr. Yeomans related that I had read to her the entire chapter of Deuteronomy 28 and Galatians 3. Then I read other healing scriptures, but I reread those two chapters over and over again. And I asked her, did you notice that according to Deuteronomy 28:22, that con- consumption or tuberculosis is a curse under the law? But did you also, also notice that according to Galatians 3:13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law Therefore, he has redeemed you from tuberculosis. In those, day, in those days, tuberculosis was one of the biggest causes of death in America. That was before the days of miracle drugs, miracle drugs and advanced medical technology. This woman was in the last stages of the disease and was virtually dead as she lay there on the bed of the faith home. Dr. Yeomans instructed the woman at every waking moment, repeat out loud. This is what needs to get into your spirit. Right here, so listen to this part. Dr. Yeomans instructed the woman at every waking moment, repeat out loud, according to Deuteronomy 28:22, consumption or tuberculosis is a curse of the law. But according to Galatians 3:13, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. So Christ has redeemed me from tuberculosis. That was her confession over and over and over. The next morning, Dr. Yeomans and her sister read healing scriptures to each of the four patients who were in the faith home. And Dr. Yeoman said to the woman with tuberculosis, did, I, did you say what I told you to say last night? Yes, the woman answered. It seems like I didn't sleep 10 minutes. I must have said it 10,000 times. But it still doesn't mean anything in the world to me yet. Dr. Yeoman said, that's all right. Just keep saying it. According, keep saying, according to Deuteronomy 28.22, consumption is a curse of the law. And Galatians 3.13 shows me Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. So Christ has redeemed me from tuberculosis. The woman with tuberculosis continued to take God's medicine. It said, I must have quoted those scriptures 10,000 times, but they still didn't mean anything to me. I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. That's all right, Dr. Yeoman said. Just keep saying it. Keep repeating it to yourself. The woman was so weak and so far gone physically that she couldn't say it very loudly. She, she could only whisper it. You guys listen to the end of this story. This is amazing. Afterward, Dr. Yeomans and her sister were in the kitchen cooking the noon meal when they heard some commotion upstairs in one of the bedrooms. It sounded like somebody had hit the floor and was running. All the patients were bedfast and virtually dead, but one of them was up and out of bed and running. And she was yelling, Dr. Yeomans, Dr. Yeomans. And so Dr. Yeomans rushed down the kitchen. This woman who had been dying of tuberculosis was running down the stairs hollering, Dr. Yeomans, did you know that I'm healed? I'm healed. I'm the one that had tuberculosis, but I'm healed. Yes, I know, she said. I've been trying to tell you that for three days now. Think about that. Dr. Yeomans had just been trying to show her that she was already healed at the cross. But it took three days of her confessing it and mulling it around in her mind till it got down in her spirit. And once it got down into her heart, faith ignited, and she was healed. Are you guys seeing this? 
What happened to this woman? Let me finish this. What happened to this woman who was dying just days before? The word that she had been confessing got down into her spirit. It wasn't some magic potion that Dr. Yomas gave her. It wasn't that Dr. Yomas had a great personality or or abilities bestowed on her by God that got this woman healed. No, it was just the word. It was just faith in God's word that healed the woman and raised her off the deathbed. You see, Dr. Yeomans knew that eventually the truth of God's word would register on the woman's heart. Many times folks are just sitting around waiting. Please hear this. Many times folks are just sitting around waiting for somebody else to do something for them. They're waiting for a healing evangelist to get them healed or for the Spirit of God to manifest himself and heal them by some gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit may or may not manifest himself that way. We don't control the spiritual gift. Only God does. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit is divided to every man severally as God wills. The Holy Spirit manifests himself occasionally to one here and one there. And God does that as a sign to get people's attention so so they'll know that God's alive and working. However, if you just sit around and wait for a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to come to you, it may never come. But I tell you one thing about it, God's word always works. God's word works. And then at the end of this book, he said, I challenge you to take these scriptures and begin to meditate on them. Did you get, did you get that story, really? Because, you know, if people are waiting for physical healing or whatever, some kind of miracle to come through some anointed man or woman of God, it may come and it may not. But how many knows we need to grow up spiritually and learn how to get things from God for ourselves? We need to humble ourselves real low and say, Lord, teach me how to get answers to my prayers. And I've taught you today how to get answers when it comes to healing based on God's word. Some of you guys are, are looking for something in life whether it be healing or some other promise in God's word. And I encourage you to start quoting God's word and start speaking it every day over your circumstance. And you watch as the circumstance starts changing and starts lining up with the promise of God's word. Because as you're confessing that every day, eventually it's going to get down into your spirit and it's going to ignite faith. And when faith ignites, you're going to start seeing change. And so I gave you guys a handout with scriptures on it. It's laminated and there's also a back page of it that has these faith confessions. And what's going to happen is, if you'll discipline yourself to do it, I'm going to start hearing all these testimonies. Uh, Pastor Scott, you didn't have to pray for me. This happened and this happened and this happened because I was quoting God's word. And next thing I know, miracles started breaking out. Amen? What would happen if God uprooted you and put you on the mission field out there somewhere? You would have to learn how to believe God for things. What if you were the pastor, the preacher? What if you had to do it? You would have to learn to stand on your own two feet spiritually. You'd have to learn how to believe God's word. So what I feel is this, that you would begin to really meditate on those scriptures and let God start strengthening your faith. There was a uh, another prophetic word that came the other night, there was a horse in the vision that, that somebody had. This beautiful white horse, but there was these birds that were trying to come down and attack it, but there was this, like a dome of protection over the horse. And what I felt when I prayed about that was, 
is that's the shield of faith. The enemy tries to swoop in, but if, you're, if you have your shield of faith up, they can't penetrate it. And the way you're going to start pushing back the enemy is to start meditating on God's word, let it get in your spirit, and it's going to begin to push things back. Is this making sense? So start being specific. If you have something wrong in, in your life, find a scripture that promises it and begin to speak that every day and confess it. All right, here in a moment we're going to have prayer.